If you're wondering what a bunch of astronauts are doing at the White City, stop wondering. They're American footballers limbering up and invading England for one afternoon only. The English may think that American football uniforms are funny, and they're not wrong. There's the short pants, bulky pads, towels hanging from players' belts, and the helmets that remind the Brits of spacemen. There is one thing, however, that American uniforms can boast that their European counterparts can't. The players wear so much clothing, it's a wonder they can move at all. Despite all the padding and fabric and stitching, the one thing you won't find on an American football uniform is an advertisement. There's no signage allowed in the camera's eye at NFL stadiums. So they're very particular, and that goes to the uniform, and it goes to the sidelines, and it goes to the lower bowl. America has kept its big four sports jerseys mostly clean in the last hundred years. But all that might be about to change. Soon, the space between your team logo and your favorite player's name might be interrupted by a commercial break. This is The Narrative. I'm Harry Swartout. The Greeks may have wrestled naked, but the sports uniform was probably invented shortly after. They made it easier to keep track of the game. The primary function of a uniform uh, in sports uh, is primarily to identify uh, both to those you are working with and those you may be working against and those who are watching you, what group you belong to. That's Paul Lucas, a journalist who specializes in writing about uniforms for ESPN. The uniform also tends to convey a kind of status, uh, a sense of looking very official. Uh, it tends to connote a certain official status. Uh, and these are all things that uniforms stood for long before the general public could buy any of those uniforms at retail, because nowadays, uniforms now primarily stand for, I would say, consumerism. Jerseys may stand for commercialism, but not one that mirrors most markets. Sports teams fluctuate constantly in content and quality, and yet their apparel largely defies logic in terms of supply and demand. Basically, rooting for a team is a very intense form of brand loyalty. Like, let's say I like Cheerios, which in fact I do, and let's say they change the formula. I might buy one box, and I'll identify with the box the yellow, you know, the yellow package and the certain typeface and all of that, and, and it'll connect with me up to a point. But if it doesn't taste the same, it's not going to be enough to keep me buying the product. But in sports, and you've got players, you know, being traded and retiring and, and getting injured and blah, 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 free agency. And so your team can be very good one year and very bad the next year, but you keep rooting for that team. Let's say I'm a Mets fan, which in fact I am, and I hate the Yankees, which in fact I do. Uh, and if that's the case today, let's say tonight the entire Mets team is traded, 25 guys for 25 guys for the entire Yankees team, straight up. Who do I root for tomorrow? And to me, it's a no-brainer. I root for the 25 guys that are now wearing Mets uniforms, even if they were 25 guys I hated yesterday. And that doesn't make any sense. It's like completely nonsensical and illogical, but that's the nature of sports rooting. It's a really intense form of brand loyalty in which the content and the quality of the content is irrelevant. This phenomenon is so illogical, it famously became fodder for comedians. You're actually rooting for the clothes when you get right down to it. But it carries a lot of weight. Brand power is something American sports leagues have in a way few companies do. But they didn't always leverage it as well as they could. It took until the 1980s. When I got to the NFL in 1985, the whole NFL licensed product marketplace was about 75 to 80% kids. That's Frank Vuono, 
the man responsible for the seas of commercial jerseys you see in the stands at football games. When he started working for NFL Proline, his first job was to up the age demo. I couldn't get uh, a really good pair of sweats with any NFL identification, and he asked me what I meant, and I said, you know, I played ball in college. I have to call my equipment manager to get a pair of reverse weave sweats, and he asked me what that was, and I told him it was a product that Champion Products made at the time where they the knit of the sweatshirt and turned it sideways so that it would move and stretch with you when you're, you know, big fat lineman or whatever. So anyway, I thought that we could market to adults and that adults would want to have the jersey, the jerseys of their favorite players. Look at a picture of a football crowd from before the mid-80s. Might I suggest SI's cover photo from the January 26, 1976 issue. There's not a single fan wearing a jersey behind Lynn Swan. By the January 30th, 1984 issue, however, Nestled between Oakland's Jack Squirk and a hapless Redskins defender, a fan is wearing a number 57 jersey. This is partly because before Vuono, the only way you could get an authentic NFL jersey was by giving a future Hall of Famer a Coke. NFL jerseys used to be a type of cottage industry. Local sports shops would make jerseys to order, using basic colored uniforms, and then sewing on the numbers and logos. They even got the raw materials from the same place as the teams did. The NFL followed the same method, but added a bit of legitimacy to the process. There are two ways to get an authentic NFL game jersey. Play in the NFL, or call 1-800-453-2800. Yes, now you can have the same jersey worn by your favorite NFL player. The real thing from NFL Proline made by the same manufacturer that supplies each of the 28 teams. We had to actually go out and find the people who actually manufactured the jerseys and uh, they, weren't the big, they weren't the big companies like they are today. Uh, Nike wasn't in the business of making football jerseys, nor was Adidas, nor was Under Armour. And there were a bunch of small guys around the country who made uh, really special material. So I had to go out and find manufacturers like uh, Starter, and Apex, uh, who would uh, come to the table and understood the licensed product market and the retail market. And I got uh, subcontractors to make the jerseys for them and ultimately put their logos on it to sell to the consumer. Vuono also added logos to the jerseys to make sure it was easy to distinguish the real deal from a knockoff. Then came the first bit of advertising on a big four American sports team, the Maker's Mark. Maker's Marks, uh, the manufacturer's logos that appear on many uniforms, whether it's uh, the Nike swoosh or the, the Adidas logo or any logo, which we take most of that for granted now, but those didn't used to always be there. And frankly, they're still not there in the NBA. Maker's Marks weren't exactly money makers. The NFL largely used them to break even. Uh, when I looked at the expenses of the teams when I got to the NFL, I was shocked to see that one of their biggest expenses was in fact the tools of the trade, uh, helmets, shoulder pads, uh, shoes, and of course jerseys and pants. And um, I set about to uh, have that reversed and have the manufacturers uh, kind of sponsor those uniforms and sponsor that those tools of the trade for the teams. and. Uh, and supply the teams with the goods in exchange for exposure to their logos.
This is the same sort of deal professional sports teams have been making for years with companies, in order to try and break even. The Packers got their name because they were the company team of the Acme Meat Packers, who provided the talent, equipment, and practice area for the team. A modern-day example is the New York Red Bulls, who were named after the energy drink company that saved the dying MLS Metro Stars. Each team's existence serves as a sort of advertisement, but it's a little bit more than that. I think it's important to call these companies what they are in terms of their relationships with these teams. Sponsor uh, implies some sort of partnership of essential support. Uh, a sponsor is the local business that provides funds for the Little League team to buy the, the equipment or uniforms it otherwise couldn't afford to buy. Uh, a sponsor provides essential support without which the enterprise would collapse. Unlike sponsorship, advertisement isn't about literally supporting the team financially, but it does put money in the team's pocket. Each ad, however, is a gamble, withering the team's brand against the money for adding a second logo. It helps if you actually like the advertiser. I love you so much. Not everyone has a ticket oak, but everyone can use StubHub. StubHub, where do you want to sit? To be frank with you, we came up with a list. The first partner on the list that made sense for us was StubHub and they are the only call that we made. That's Chris Heck, Chief Sales and Marketing Officer for the Philadelphia 76ers. And it may have been the most natural, uh, comfortable uh, partnership and extension that I've ever been a part of. For the 2017-18 season, the NBA will be the first Big Four American Sports League to advertise on its jerseys, with a small patch on the chest near the shoulder. The 76ers were the first team to select their partner, but despite making only one call, the team did take much into consideration when making the decision, including how it looks. The brand of the 76ers and the brand of the NBA, uh, we don't take it lightly. Um, we truly believe that we're, we're stewards of this brand for Philadelphia and for the Philadelphia uh, sports fans. With the StubHub logo, um, you know, this being a horizontal logo, it actually, we thought it, it felt very good with, on our uniform. So it's the same color as our team. It's also the same shape um, of how everything is laid out, and it just works. Positive focus groups might not be enough, Unlike leagues past that needed money to pay for equipment or practice fields, some fans see the modern-day leagues as powerful, money-hungry megaliths. Fans are, in, in many cases, have, have, they have gotten so cynical about things even you know, beyond what they have reason to. And let me give you an example. Uh, we, we know that uh, many of the leagues have special occasion uniforms for holidays and things like that. And for example, Major League Baseball has Stars and Stripes uniforms for Independence Day, camouflage uniforms for Memorial Day, and that type of thing. And over the last few years, I hear over and over again from my readers, I hear people saying that these new uniforms from Major League Baseball are a cash grab. And I hear that term over and over again, cash grab, cash grab. And the reality is, they are not a cash grab because they are, uh, while they are being sold at retail, all the profits for them are going uh, to various charities, military charities and, and other uh, worthy causes. So Major League Baseball isn't making anything, uh, at least monetarily, uh, from, from the sale of those uniforms. But there, uh, there is the impression, fans have gotten so used to the idea 
that every other aspect of the game has in fact become what they call a cash grab, that they just reflexively treat almost anything uh, as a cynical attempt to milk more money out of the, out of the system uh, by, by the leagues and the teams, even when that isn't in fact the case. The leagues have seen the backlash, and they're trying to change the fans' minds. Not by advertising less necessarily, but by integrating it more seamlessly into the experience. Fenway Park, one of the greatest cathedrals of sport, and the Green Monster. But they were so smart how they integrated sponsors back into the wall. And they started by tying in their community relations program, which was goodwill to the fans, and they put that on there. And then they put an advertiser on there, which was in just white and green. And now they have like four advertisers on there and no one ever even blinked an eye. But they were so smart and methodical and careful about how they transformed the mindset of how people understood advertisement with a sports brand that was really iconic without hurting the brand. And that's really what our goal has been all along both on the NBA and the 76ers. The NBA has been planning its ad integration for a while and believes it has taken the steps both at home and abroad to make sure their venture succeeds. You know, it, it, it's been something that uh, the NBA had had discussions on this topic as early as the, as the uh, early 2000s. Several of those years, I actually worked on the project of what the evolution would look like and what would become of jerseys and advertising um, and sponsorship uh, integration um, for the NBA uh, as it became a global league uh, and how they would maximize the opportunity uh, commercially. Here for the Rockets and the Pelicans from Shanghai. First of two from China for these two teams and the Pelicans win the opening tip. With games in all corners of the globe and even jerseys that feature Chinese characters, the globalization of the NBA makes it the obvious choice for the first big four sport to adopt the international trend of jersey advertisements. Leagues with stronger domestic ties, like MLB and especially the NFL, have to consider America's sporting traditions and how the games are delivered. Well, the only way it could happen would be if there was a uh, an agreement reached amongst the broadcast networks in the league. And there was a coordination on who could be approved for the ads on the jerseys, then it could happen. And that's the only way it could happen. And I would imagine that the teams uh, would want to do that individually as the NBA is pursuing. But um, I would think that... Uh, if the NFL ever wanted to do a league-wide deal, that it would be maybe the biggest deal in all of sports. And uh, that may, in fact, uh, be a case where one plus one equals three. And uh, that would probably be the biggest deal in sports, even bigger than some of the soccer teams in Europe. The allure of the biggest deal in history might be too much to resist for big four leagues. For advertising, it seems like once the genie is let out of the bottle, there's no going back. Uh, I, I tend to think of it as the rare, genuine example of American exceptionalism, uh, a case where, you know, unlike the rest of the world, we actually haven't sold out. But in general, these things tend to work like a ratchet. They tend to go in one direction. It's hard to see them saying, 
yeah, well, this was a bad idea, and we're not going to do it anymore, and we're going to turn down the money. Uh, we didn't, you know, all that money we got is, is, you know, wasn't worth it. The ad-free jersey may be one of the last vestiges of American exceptionalism. But once the first jersey gets a patch, it seems like the floodgates will open. In reality, it's not that ads will happen all at once. It's that they've already started and you haven't noticed yet. If you really think about the grassroots of the United States sports, and you think about your first Little League baseball team or your first soccer t-shirt, was there not a corporate sponsor on your shirt? Was there not a name of the local pizza place or the local realty company or whatever on what you wore? Well, if you think about Little League baseball fields around the country, are there not signs across the entire back fence of your Little League field and so on? So America's, Americans have no problem with seeing advertising at sporting events. You're never going to confuse the name of the team with the, with the advertisement on the jersey. So uh, I, I think uh, they'll get along just fine. Special thanks this week go out to Paul Lucas, Frank Vuono, and Chris Heck. If you like the cast, please rate and review us on iTunes. That's the best way to make sure more people hear the narrative. You can tweet about the show using the hashtag SINarrative. I'm at Harry Swartout on Twitter. And as always, for more narratives moving the world of sport, visit SI.com.